You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Whoa, 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 what do we have here? Is this a podcast launching on a Friday? What, what is the deal here? Well, let me tell you. This is a bonus episode. My friend Dylan from Dylan Talks Tone has started a podcast where he is interviewing people in a similar style to mine, and he asked me to be on it, and I really enjoy talking to him. If you had not checked out his episode, which aired, I think, like three-ish months ago, maybe a little less, just scroll back. If you type in Dylan Tone Mob, I'm sure you will find it. We had a really good chat, and he asked me to be on his show, and I said, of course. So a lot of this is rehashing some things you probably know already, the slice of pie launch, my string joy stuff, like all of that. It's it's probably a lot that you've heard lately, but after we talk about that, we start getting into, I mean, it's it's a total conversation. It's very similar to the way I try to do the Tone Mob podcast, and we get into just like what it takes to be able to do this kind of thing for a living. We just kind of pull the curtain back on both of our different styles. And we just talk about the nuances and subtleties about trying to make a living making content, which can be a lot of fun, but also a, a little bit of a challenge. So that's something that I'm very passionate about getting out for people to understand because I didn't understand it when I first started doing this and I thought I did just like everybody thinks they understand it when they are outside looking in. So that was a really cool part of it. Also, I think this is going to be a great podcast. He has a lot of good contacts and who couldn't use more guitar podcasting in their life. So check out, I'm just going to say it. That's what it's called. It's I'm just going to say it. Cause that's a catchphrase of his on his YouTube channel. So I'm just going to say it. You can find it on YouTube or you can find it on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. And yeah, I hope you enjoy this chat and this little bonus episode. So here we go. Let's get into it. Let's go. So. Oh, so this is what I was working on while you were gone, although you probably can't see it because it's all glitchy, but I got me a, a Loop Deck CT. For, oh, yeah. It's a, I can kind of see it. It's, yeah. a little, it's a little blurry, but I can kind of see it. Yeah. So 
for video editing and Photoshop and Lightroom and streaming stuff like this so I can like change, you know, various views and do sound effects and all that stuff. So it's, I got it mainly for, um, Final Cut, but okay, yeah, makes sense, yeah, because I'm that's awesome editing hours and hours a day. So, <laughs> so, uh, in Tone Mob world, um, you've been busy. Oh man, I've been uh, I've been very busy, and it's not really gonna slow down, and I'm not really complaining about it. You know, it's uh, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot, but I'd way rather that than have nothing to do. So I'm not going to complain about it. You know, it's 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 all good stuff. It's the good kind of busy. So for those of my viewers who don't know who you are, although I think this is probably more the other way around, um, Tone Mob Podcast is one of my favorites. And Thank you. also the what's... Uh, is it Chasing Tone podcast that you do with the guys from Wampler? Wampler. Yep. Chasing Tone. Yep. My two favorite. They're so fun. Um, so Thank fun. you. Yeah. Really fun. Um, and then what else does Blake, Blake Weiland do? Because I don't think anybody really knows. <laughs> there was actually uh, an Ultimate Guitar article recently. Not specifically about me, but I was mentioned in it about guitar podcasts, and they did a pretty good job of summing it up. Uh, they said they kind of they mentioned sixty cycle hum, and they said Ryan Burke is you know a popular YouTuber, also has this you know off the back of his podcast kind of is where that launched. Yeah, and then for me they said and Blake Wyland of the Tone Mob uh, does a little bit of everything, <laughs> and I think that's pretty. That's pretty accurate, but primarily they they did mention some of the key points, which are the podcast, obviously, um, uh, Instagram content, just lots and lots of Instagram content of all varieties, right? Uh, uh, and then what else did they talk about? They talked about the my Stringjoy affiliation. I'm a partner in that company, and then um, and then the Chasing Tone podcast, which is another thing I do. Um, and also I've slowed down on this a little bit. I still do a tiny bit, but, uh, social media and general marketing consulting for gear companies was, was a big driver for me for a long time. But I've, like I said, I've backed off of some of that now and I'm trying to focus on my own stuff and projects and other things that are, you know, coming down the pipeline. So hopefully I can talk about those more publicly soon. There's always something in the works. Yeah, so the latest like thing you had to keep secret for a long time was this pizza situation. Yeah, I, ironically, my son just had a drum lesson last night, and his drum instructor was asking me about it. I don't know if you can see this because of our internet situation, but we'll try. Nope. Uh, the sli slice of pie, um, so for people who can hear this, uh, slice of pie uh, is, a product, is a pedal that I did with big ear pedals that you talked about on your news segment. Um, but as any listeners of my podcast know, I'm obsessed with pizza. I love pizza. Grant from Big Ear Pedals is also obsessed with pizza. Well, Grant and Karen both, actually. I think Grant might be slightly more into it, but Karen loves it too. Uh, and she uh, 
she she actually ate this slice that was the photo of the piece of pizza. So there's a picture. She took a picture of like the most perfect looking pepperoni pizza for the slice of pie petal. And then there's a picture that she has. I don't know if we've posted it anywhere yet of where she actually ate the slice that became the slice. Like her lunch is like the most famous uh, lunch in the world at this point, I think, in the guitar world anyway. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And it's a fuzz. It's a fuzz. Yeah. And, you know, you can infer what it's based on from the name and the shape of it yep. if you get, get extra gear nerdy. Um, but it really did kind of that's what it where it, the roots of it are. But it became its own thing, you know, o- over time. It's uh, it's definitely that in spirit. But I've never heard another one quite like that. Uh, Zach from Mythos Pedals uh, helped with the the foundation of the design and the layout and everything. And that guy's got great ears. Uh, he's an amazing dude. And then Grant and Karen actually sat down together and they like swapped parts out and was like, what about this? What do you think of this? And then there were some other people from the Nashville area. Uh, this was all being done during like the early days of lockdown and stuff. So like uh, Jonathan Diaz from the effects loop and uh, I can't even remember everybody. Uh, Jesse Rue from rude tech helped with the, uh, actual design of the case. Um, uh, AWOL pedals helped build some and listen to some early prototypes. Uh, there's just so many people that were involved in making this thing a reality. Jacob and the team at F5 Metalworks made the, did the actual print and powder coat on it, which is obviously a huge part of the finished product. And uh, it's printed on three sides. They had to make some special jigs to hold them in place for the printer. And it's like, it was just this, it was like a 20 month process to get this done. Just, it seems kind of silly to put that much effort and time into something, but uh, you know, we were, we couldn't be happier with how it came out and the response to it's been awesome too. So is this uh well, first of all, yeah, the product launch and the marketing side of it, I thought was great. There have been numerous small pedal companies that don't do it that well. I mean, it right. was, I, I thought it was fun, like, and I really dug it. Um, is this going to be like a a permanent part of Big Ear, or is it a limited thing, or what? As long as people are interested, we're going to keep producing them. You know, most of my collaborations have been limited. Um, but you know, this has such universal appeal and there's people outside of the gear, you know, the normal quote unquote gear world that are just more normal players for lack of a better term. You know, like my dad, I always point to him as an example of this. He doesn't pay attention to the pedal world and what's launching and everything, but he plays guitar and he likes guitar. Uh, I think this has some appeal for a lot of those people who they may find it years down the road and they may see it on some board and it sounds good to them and they like the fun concept. So yeah, we're going to keep it around for as long as it makes sense to keep around basically like any, any product, you know, they, they all have a life cycle and I'm sure it'll be gone at some point, but that we're going to plan to keep it in production as long as physically possible. No, that's awesome. I just didn't know if it was going to be like 500 and it's done or 200 and it's done or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. We made a, uh, the initial batch was, was 500 um and we're still working through that but they're on they're almost gone um but but there's already plans to keep them 
we're just going to keep them in production as as consistently as possible. So something else that I dig about this, probably one of the only products to come out so far in the last year that you could more or less order and get like when it came out. I'm I don't know about you, but I'm getting really tired of hey, here's the new product. Oh yeah, it's going to be back ordered until October. <laughs> it's it's very annoying. I understand it is kind of just the the way the world is. Yeah. Um and you know, I don't I'm not going to hate on anybody for doing that because I super understand. Yeah. You know, me too. I super get what's going on, but we worked really hard to have that not be the case with this. You know, that was that was a huge part of why it took so long because we did want to just have everything ready to ready to rock and roll as soon as people saw it, they could get it. Um, you know, they ship out within a few business days and that was that was a big push, you know, this because uh, it is kind of annoying, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to keep all my handmade stuff to like two, two to three weeks out, mm -hmm. you know, and for hand, you know, you order a set of pickups and I make them to order. So I figure two to three weeks is OK, but that's really even that's hard keeping it right there um these days yes definitely and these are uh, grant and karen and and actually some of the uh, jesse rue from rude tech uh a wall pedals is when they're aaron wall he's been there helping and you know there's there's been a very conscious effort to try to keep it in immediately shippable status basically yeah. um but i mean it's been really 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 hard just getting the parts uh getting the you know, having the right powder coat in stock, having whatever, you know, it's just, ugh. it, it's been so much more challenging this year than ever, than even during deep lockdown, just cause, um, I've actually talked about this with a few people. I think basically when everything locked down, this is just my theory. I don't know this for a fact. I think we basically siphoned off all of the suppliers, the mid-level suppliers had stock. And then we siphoned all that off. So we didn't really see uh, in the guitar world parts availability diminish that much during the early days. But sales were so high for every manufacturer, basically. We sucked, we, we, we basically sucked the inventory dry from the suppliers, but the raw materials suppliers were also locked down during that time. So they weren't producing stuff to keep up. They weren't producing even like silicon for chips. They weren't producing iron and aluminum like those these those places were shut down not to the same degree as everywhere else but significantly reduced and now we're just in this several year period of catch up across industries you know i think that's a lot of what has happened yeah and i'm pretty sure that there are like priority industries i know like with copper for example so pickup wire cuz that's my thing mm mhm I, you know, let's say I go through, I don't know, five or 10 pounds a month, which is a couple hundred pickups. Yeah. Boeing or one of those places is going through the same gauge wire, but like tons. And so if I call my company and be like, 
I need 10 pounds of 42 so I can, you know, I'm not on the priority list. So that's the other thing. Like some of these more niche industries, we're kind of getting knocked down the totem pole. If I could. Totally. I can. Yeah. Okay. I won't say totem. I don't. (laughs) Well, we'll talk about that later. I try not to say that anymore, even though I'm Native American, but yeah, right. whatever. Uh, anyway, I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah, uh, it's it, I, that's 100 percent true. You know, a lot of people don't realize they they saw uh, when Tom Cram came on my podcast. Tom Cram was the person essentially responsible for reviving the DOD brand uh, of pedals. And, you know, he worked with Digitech while they were owned by Harman, which is owned by Samsung. And then even though sales were really strong and he did an amazing job reviving that brand, they just shut it down. Samsung just was like this, even though this brand is doing well for us currently, it's not worth our time. Right. It's not worth our headache because we're Samsung. Yeah. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like that's the guitar pedal industry is so small and the guitar industry in general, even at the, the highest levels. I mean, you know, the, I got a report uh, in, I, I question its accuracy a little bit for a few reasons, but I got a report from Music Trades about the you know revenue numbers from the top MI companies in 2020. And at the top of the list was Sure uh, at, I can't remember, I think eight, a little around 800 million, which is a lot. That's a, that's a big company, but not compared to Samsung. That's like no. a tiny division of Samsung. You know, yes. that's <laughs> so. Yeah. What was Fender like? Seven hundred and thirty million or something? Some, something. They were number two, and they were in that ballpark. So, yeah. like two of the biggest companies in the game are a line item to a cell phone company. You yeah, know? they don't even move the needle in most industries. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yep. Yeah. So then you filter that all the way down to me working out of a bedroom in my house, and you, right. you know doing what you do it's like you know even even a company like the 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 size of string joy uh, is so small when it's when you're talking about the amount of raw materials even as yes. much as they're growing um mm-hmm. in comparison yeah yeah and string joy goes through it's kind of astonishing how much stuff we go through and then we sit go sit back and go like we're still like the smallest brand that's actually manufacturing in the yep. U.S. You know, there's there's white label brands that are smaller than us at this point, which uh, it, you know that's kind of that makes sense, right? Right. But the, the we're like the smallest brand that's actually winding stuff outside of maybe two or three other companies, and we go through a lot of material. Uh, so to extrapolate that out to some of the bigger guys. It's like it's hard to even mentally process it sometimes how much yeah. they have to go through. And then even even still, they're small potatoes in in the realm of raw materials. They're not Boeing, for example. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if you go so if you zoom out a little bit and you say, OK, like your wire for strings or my wire for pickups, the dies and the equipment, they're doing all that stuff in runs, too. So it's like. We have to use these machines to make this other wire for this other 
industry and we only have a limited amount of raw materials to make it. So guitar string wraps are going to have to like be a backseat to whatever somebody else is doing. So it just goes all the way up the chain. It's crazy because that's the problem that, well, the whole guitar industry is going to have, well, starting now with like tubes and magnets, you know, like because those industries are shifting, it's going to make it tougher. 100%. It's, I think a lot of the consumers of the guitar market, uh, and it's getting better, but a lot of the consumers of the guitar market don't realize how, um, how small it is. You know, despite so many people talking about it and talking about it and talking about it, it's hard to wrap your mind around as a, you know, say you're somebody that's making, you know, average way, whatever that is. So you hear about a company like Fender doing 730 million. You're like, wow, it's a big company. It is a big company uh, in this niche, but it's, it's so small in comparison. Like we think about, you I used to work in the oil industry and the company I worked for, you know, <laughs> 730 million was like, yeah, that's a, yeah. One of our facilities does that, uh, in six months, you know, it's a, right. it's, it's just such a different thing. The scales are so tipped, but the difference with the guitar market is that's all public. Uh, you can tell it looks like Fender's a big company and they are a big company. I'm not trying to say they're not, it's just, they're just small by comparison to other industries. When you really humans have a hard time processing numbers. Once you get over a thousand, it's kind of like it's all the same. I, I know that's not entirely true, but mentally you you kind of start to gloss over after it's like yeah, yeah I don't know what the the point is. Five hundred thousand is the same as five million, you know, in our right. brains, even though it's vastly different. Yep, that's why it's really fun to still have. And one of the things I'm kind of glad about over the last two years is there are more people that are like, well, I only, you're, you know, you made 500 pedals. You're going to make however many more. You don't have 3,000 employees to feed. You don't have to worry about it. So you can like slow down and be creative and make the pedal look like pizza. Like, right. So in a way, all of us small potatoes are kind of keeping the thing alive because on the creative, not overly business sense side of stuff, you know, definitely. We have the flexibility to be able to do that. Uh, Could a big company do something like that? Sure, they could, but they have so many other factors they have to consider. Right. You know, we, we, we basically went. Is this going to be fun? Do we think it's going to be viable for Big Ear and for myself? And the answer was like, yeah, I think it will be. It'll be hard, but it it will be viable. Whereas somebody at Gibson Fender, what insert big company, bigger company here, it it may not be worth the resources when they can put that right. into something that has more mass appeal. Uh, so we the smaller builders like like you and like Big Ear. They have the ability to be flexible and fun, whereas some of the bigger outlets don't because they and it's not a bad thing. It's just reality. They have a lot of mouths to feed and they got to ensure 
that the volume of their output is going to feed those people. That's what they have to do. So, yeah, um, you know, it's just the way the world works. One of the things we started to do, well, I was trying to figure out like, okay, I can get four or 10 or 20 of a particular kind of part. And I was getting kind of annoyed with it because I was like, I'd really like to add this product to my you know, catalog, but the supply chain is so messed up. So yep. I flipped it. I was like, okay, we can only get 20 of these pickup covers right now. And then they're on back order for like eight months. All right, well, let's just make it into a little short run and just tell people we only have mm -hmm. 20 of them. Boom, they're gone in like six hours. Definitely. So, you know, let's just make them special because they are special because you can't get them. So let's just tell right. people that because it's not a lie. It's totally true. I can only get this many. Um, and then allow that to feed some. So the scarcity is like feeding some creativity in my brain, you know, to mm -hmm. to make that work. And it's working. Yeah. No, that, that's that's very true. You, the thing is about these times, you find out, you know, who's willing to um, fight for the thing that they love to do. Mm -hmm. You know, some people are willing to just be like, well, I guess that's that. And uh, it's not going to work for me anymore. And that's fine. That's OK. I, you know, I, I'm not saying this as a knock on anybody either. It's just it's literally just clarifying who wants it bad enough. Years ago, at one of my first names, it might have been my second, I heard a smaller pedal builder come up to Josh Scott and say, if you had advice for one, like one small builder, you know, to get to like your status where you're at, and even GHS, like as successful as that company is, even they're, they're tiny in comparison. Yes. Uh, but they're a very successful brand. Josh is a really smart guy. Uh, they, so they asked him, like, what would you do? You've been at this a long time. And he said, number one thing, stick around. Just stick around. That's hard enough. If you can stick around, you'll be doing better than most people in this industry. And he's 100% right about that. And I think you can extrapolate that to other industries and professions too. But being a small uh, builder in this this niche is is tough. It's really tough to make it work. If you can make it work, it's one of the most rewarding jobs in the world. But it's very difficult. I was, I had the same conversation. It's, it's funny. We were talking about this right now because I want to say, when was your first NAM? 2015 or 16. I can't remember. Okay. Yeah. So I started this company in 2011 or 2012, mm -hmm. right in there. And my first NAM, I think, was your first NAM. Um, okay. And at that NAM, I met um, Anthony Sims from Lucky Dog Guitars out of Cleveland, Tennessee. He makes those mm -hmm. really unique, really pretty Telecaster type stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were talking, uh, we're good friends now, and we were talking probably about six months ago. And he's like, if you walked around in your mind at that show in 2015 or whatever it was, and then walk around in your mind again, who would be there this year? Not by choice, but who actually exists anymore. It's less than a handful. 
of right. small companies that like survived. But we had to fight. I mean, you know, he almost lost everything a couple times. One of the times because wasn't his choice, you know. Fender's right. Fender's pretty powerful, but um, you know, that kind of stuff is you gotta fight through it and yeah. and make it go. And even for somebody like you with what you do, I don't think people understand also it's not just you and Scott went and started a string company. It's you're always right now doing like 10 different things just to keep the lights on. Like, yes, <laughs> I'm me, yes. me too. Me too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. We talked about that last time you uh, came on my podcast. It was like, it's just, and I'm, I, I think some people might take this as complaining. It's not, it's just explaining the reality of the situation. You know, there's, most people I know that do anything related to music for a living, even up to some very famous, you know, well-known musicians, uh, they do multiple things yeah. to keep the lights on. Maybe some of it's outside of music, you know? Uh, so I, was, I used the example yesterday. I was actually talking to a, a classroom of kids uh, in a very similar situation to this. And, you know, they had a lot of questions, and, and one of them was like, of all the people you know that's doing music-related stuff for a living, how many of them just do that? And I'm like, Phew. almost none. Mm-mm. Like, even I use the example of Maynard from Tool. Like, even that guy in one of the most popular bands on the planet has a winery. You know, I know he does it because he loves it. He doesn't have to. But my point is, like, that's the type of person he is. He could just go home and chill when he's not on tour he could. I've, ac- I've actually been to his his place in jerome arizona and there you go ha- had lunch with him and tried his wine and nice uh yeah, yeah. interesting fellow maynard <laughs> exactly but you can see like that's just how he's wired actually i interviewed um brahm who does the uh youtube videos under pedoscopic sounds and he's from the wine industry and he said he sat down with him in that capacity one time as a rep for a distributor. And he was like, it's so funny because like I've wa- watched this guy play. I love his band. And here he is so excited about getting forklift certified so he can drive around crates of grapes at this winery and stuff. You know, all that to say is like most of the people who are successful in the music industry have multiple things going on, whether they need to or not. It's just kind of tells you about the the mental state you have to be in to make this work. Josh Scott, another good example, like he's got the pedal business, but if you look at the amount of output he does content wise, he's a full-time YouTuber as well at this point, you know, that's, and then with very high production value and a lot going on. So like, there's that Brian Wampler, you know, he's got his pedal company, but chasing tones, a big deal to him, you know, that's a, and he does videos and stuff as well. You, you do the pickups, and you're also a full-time YouTuber at the same time, basically. So, like, there's so many examples you can point to of, hey, if you want to make it work in the music industry, you're going to have to do a bunch of different stuff. Oh, yeah. What, that's sure. just, you're going to have to run live sound and know how to engineer a recording 
and also probably play something. You know, you're gonna <laughs> like you're gonna have to do all kinds of stuff. And I think that it hasn't really been talked about that much. Most people think of a rock star, they think of him as a rock star. Yeah. And that rock star probably has a bunch of different stuff going on at this Ex point. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the really successful ones, like let's say the, you know, okay, maybe not like Mick Jagger, but like, okay, one level below that. Um, I don't know who I could think of, but they kiss, <laughs> um, no, nah, maybe below mm -hmm. them. I, I, mm -hmm. What I'm thinking of is okay. Rob zombie. Um, okay. Yeah. Good point. He, he's making movies, uh, people like him, um, machine gun Kelly owns mm -hmm. restaurants. Like, yeah, there's, they're very famous. They have a bunch of money, but they know it's almost like a football player, or a hockey player. It's like they know, okay, if I get my face bashed in, I have better have something, <laughs> you know, uh, not a backup, but kind of a backup, <laughs> you know. It's uh, a diversification. Yeah, really. Exactly. That's what it is. And, and if you look at, you can even extrapolate this further. Most people who are successful, uh, not everybody, of course, but most people who are successful, who are successful have multiple things going on. Oh yeah. It's just that, that seems to be true. No matter what industry you're talking about, it just seems especially true in the music industry, even down to the lower levels of it. You know what I mean? Like if you're, like I said, if you're a sound guy, you probably have multiple gigs. You're probably not just, you know, there's, I'm sure Journey has their sound guy. That's always their sound guy. Uh, but when you get below that, when you get to more local level, you probably are running sound for a bunch of different bands. And you probably also work part-time at the guitar store. And you probably also, you know, there's, it's just, a, it seems like a constant thing with music-based activities is even at the smallest levels, you got to have multiple things going on. And I also think that people don't realize they, I mean, they they wake up in the morning and see me or you on YouTube or wherever and think that's just what we do. But they don't know about the eight other businesses that I had before this one that mm -hmm. were building blocks to get here. And they were just as much getting up early and staying up late as this is. And this is working, and that's actually more work than any of that stuff was. You know, right. like, <laughs> so um, I I never Google my own name anymore. I just, I don't do it because, you know, you inevitably see a Reddit something or other <laughs> where you're like, oh, I wish I hadn't seen that. Yeah. For some reason, I don't know if I had to or I was looking at something the other day and a, a Reddit thread came up. And it was like, you know, our Dylan pickups good. You know, has anybody tried them? Blah, blah, blah. And the very first comment that I kind of like accidentally saw was they can't be that good because he's a YouTuber. And if he's any good at being a YouTuber, that's a full time job. And there's no way to manage both of those things. And I'm like, <laughs> um, yeah, there is. It's called get up <laughs> earlier and stay up later, and I do it. <laughs> That's hilarious. Like, I mean, because I've said for a long time, look at the people, and we talked about this when you came on too, so sorry if this is a repeat, 
But look at the people who are doing well in general with consumer-facing brands. What is one thing they that most of them have in common in 2022 and for several years now? They do content mm -hmm. of some sort. Yeah. No matter what that is. It, it could be YouTube. It could be lots of Instagram. It could be TikTok. It could be podcasts. They do content. They yep. make content. They yep. make content that caters to whatever strengths they may have. Maybe some people are really good at video. Like, I'm not that good at video. I'm trying to get better. I do more. But having conversations, I am decent at. So I have lots of conversations, and I record them and put them out there for people to have. So, And some people may not like it, but it's something that comes naturally to me. And I just don't see a consumer-facing brand of any sort in any industry that that doesn't apply to. Nope. I met the first music-based or really any retail-based business who doesn't do any at all social media a couple of weeks ago. Um, mm -hmm. My viewers kept saying, hey, you need to go check out this Jerry's Lefty Guitars in Florida. So mm -hmm. when we were down there last time, um, a couple of weeks ago, I went and it's this old house behind his house. He has zero Facebook, no Instagram, no social media of any kind. His website doesn't even have a shopping cart. I mean, it's like okay. you have to call him. Mm -hmm. You walk in there and it's like, the righteous guitars of left-handed guitars. Wow. It's like you walk in there and there's Tom Anderson, Sir, like every McPherson, Cole Clark, and not one right-handed guitar in the whole place. Like everything from all over the world, all the boutique stuff. And he's like, it's me by myself and I can't keep up. Like, mm-hmm. And he's the first person, but that's so niche that he could get away with it and just go by yep. word of mouth. But you can't really do that anymore. It's very rare. And I think in instances like that, where you are so hyper niche and specialized that you can kind of get away with some of that, you know, I, I actually spoke with this with a couple of amp builders. I was like, do you, once Dumble passed away here recently, I was like, do you see a world in which another Dumble can exist? anymore i'm like no mm -mm. no i don't see i don't see that happening for anybody sure you could do you could condense things down and do smaller runs and and uh, the demand will be there for some of these brands but i don't see another time where an amp builder in particular is going to have the ability to interview their clientele and decide whether they want to make an amp for them or not. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't, there's too many options now. There's yeah. too many amazing amp builders that will just build you an amp if you ask them to, uh, for that to, to exist. And so like with the left-handed guitar thing, maybe he's not doing any content, but you heard about it on the internet. Yes. You know? Yes. So, and so I would wager that most of the demand that he is receiving probably came from somebody talking about it on the internet somewhere. Yeah. You know? Social media is still doing what social media does for him. That's yep. yeah. Without him but initiating it. Exactly. And most people can't get away with that. No. As you noted. Yeah. It just exactly. doesn't happen. Plus, how long has he been doing it? That's the other question. 
like has he been around 15 years so you know that that time in market that's actually something scott and i from string we were talking about yesterday especially in the guitar market time in marketplace seems to be and this goes back to josh scott's comment that seems to be so crucial for this industry literally just being around and being available means something even though it maybe shouldn't but like i think it does because you always hear of these fly-by-night builders that like all right you know uh billy's guitars are the best guitars on on the planet and then uh, billy's guitars received some insane demand and now billy can't keep up and now billy oh no billy's starting to not fulfill orders and billy oh no what i haven't been able able to get a hold of billy for six months uh what happened to billy's guitars they were the best thing ever oh they're gone now yep that happens all the time all the time so i think that's part of the reason people are they know if they go buy a, you know a gibson that gibson's probably going to be around yeah if they go buy a prs prs is probably going to be around to support it and they're probably going to fulfill it because they have a reputation for doing so billy's guitars maybe not so much. i don't know if there's a real real billy's guitars i apologize for using your name if there is a real billy's guitars I, i'm sure they're wonderful if that actually exists <laughs> um <laughs> but time and marketplace is really crucial for the guitar market and brands in the guitar market it's, and understanding it scalability it. too because yes Billy's guitars, if he's making some wacky thing that takes him a bajillion hours and he sells five of them, well, he doesn't have five bajillion hours now to even make those guitars. And then mm -hmm. he's done. I, I really concern myself and I don't want to say worry, but those two things, what you just, what you just mentioned and, and the scalability thing are kind of they're crossing for me right now. Like right. we've been around for X amount of years. And I really feel like that 2021 into 20, well, 2020 and 2021, but now 2022, I'm, I'm there. I, I, mm -hmm. I kind of just, I think I just hit that mark. Like, okay, people know we're around and I'm not going anywhere. And I right. think they also know that it's mine and my name on it and nobody's buying me out. There's no weird thing going to happen. It's just me. So when you order pickups, you're going to get them. Um, but not scaling it so fast that I can't keep up. And I'm also at that point, you know, at 200 pickups a month, one guy, we're, you know, I got to start thinking about that. Right. So it's right. a, it's a balancing act for sure. That's that's a really good thing that you mentioned too, because scalability is interesting. You know, you have to know yourself, and yep. you have to know what you want in order to know exactly what you should do. Then that's that's something that uh, a lot of businesses struggle with. And what I always point to is analog mic. You know, yep. I'm like, okay, he's got a three year waiting list for his pedals. He could, and he talked about this. This isn't private information. He talked about this on my podcast. He could scale up. He could hire a bunch of people, expand his facilities, and get that down to where you're getting king of tones in a week. He could do that. He has the demand for it. He doesn't want to do that. He has people that have worked for him for 
close to 15, 20 years at this point. I'm not even sure how long that love their job that produce good product. He has inbuilt demand. Like he knows every day we have this many King of Tones that we can build. That's why he knows how long his waiting list is. And he's like, I don't want to have that kind of overhead personnel headache, the expense, the, the just logistical problems that come with having a big team. He likes it where it is and he can manage it that way. Other companies know they want, they want to be, you know, boss knows they want to be boss and they know what is required to be boss. And that requires a lot of volume, a lot of labor, a lot of overhead that somebody's going to have to manage. And they've chosen to operate their business that way. And there's neither one is right or wrong. You just have to know what's best for yourself and your personality and your wants and try to steer your decision-making towards those goals. And that sounds like you're at a point right now where you're kind of having to make that decision. Like, do I want more employees? Do I want them to do it myself? What do I want to do? So I already made the decision a long time ago. Um, I know for sure that I don't want to have any employees. And I will say that I was very grateful because in 2017 or 18, we actually hired an architect, drew a shop and a house and the whole thing. I almost had pen to paper and I like pulled the plug on the whole thing. I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to get that big. I don't want to. And then the pandemic happened and I'm like so glad that, and I don't want this to come out wrong. I mean it in the most wholesome, loving way. I didn't want to be, I'm glad I was not responsible for other human beings. Like Mm -hmm. that I, what I was doing on a daily basis was not responsible for them starving to death because of, what was going on. I was very grateful that I made those decisions. And as a result, I look at people like Analog Mike and um, Anthony from Lucky Dog, who he's about three years out too. And they're making like 12 guitar guitars a month. And he's like three years out. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I want to do that. That's where I want to get. I want to, yeah. I want to get this to where we're always making pickups And we're always making people smile with the sound, but I I want it to be an enjoyable thing that people look forward to having. Uh, I don't want to become a commodity. I don't want to be Seymour Duncan. I don't want, I just like your pedals. You did it because you loved it and you know that people will love it and the people that own them will appreciate them. If it got any bigger than that, it would just be a job. And I, right, <laughs> you know, I can scale YouTube. I can scale this, the podcast. I can scale all that stuff and make a living. That's in my mind and heart to do. But this, even though it is my living right now, I want to keep it like a, a love thing. And, yeah. you, you yeah. know, so, yeah. And it's a balancing act. You know, it's real easy to, you know, get big eyes. You know, it's like, hey, this dealer came along and they're like, we can, you know, we can sell 250 of your pickups a month. And it's like, ooh, that sounds pretty cool. 
but then like what does that really mean yeah what is that pencil out to and a lot of people get distracted by that like cool that's x amount of dollars a month it's like but is it really yes you know there's there the, i know some companies i, I won't name any names because that would not be nice but there are some very large companies and very small companies that the owners end up taking home the same amount of money oh yeah yeah and so you have to pay attention to that too like sometimes more isn't more depending well, on how many people are dipping into the pot in the, on the way there, you know? And let me tell you, I just spent the last two years living in a motorhome, driving around the country, doing whatever I wanted to do. If I make any more pickups than I'm making right now, it will cut into how much fun my life is. And I'm not starving to death, so I don't want to allow that to happen. Like you have to mm -hmm. think about quality of life. Like you, you're constantly growing and do more stuff, but you still have time to go pick your kids up at school and like be a dad. Right. And you know, <laughs> there are other priorities outside of the business as far as quality of life goes. And you know, for people, for people that are just really trying to be real people and not just, uh, you know, CEO of Boeing, um, you know, you, you got to look at that stuff too. It, it, it's, it's all a factor, right? You know, yep. there, there are times where, you know, you, you have to look, take a step back and look at what you're doing and look at the end result. And it, it this just kind of goes into the, back to the knowing yourself thing. I bring yeah. this up a lot because it's, it's the most uh, pertinent example that I have for me. My dad uh, worked for himself for about 10, 12 years when I was growing up. He didn't like it. He didn't like it. He he will tell you openly he wasn't good at it. Like he it, it wasn't good for him. He was the type of per or is the type of person that is more comfortable punching a clock. And then when he's off work, he doesn't worry about it anymore. He leaves it all at work, comes back to work the next day, does his thing where I am the type of person Who's that makes me extremely uncomfortable because I I like control, I like to be able to, like, hey, if if my family's doing something on Saturday, uh, can I do it? You know, let me check my calendar. Yep, I can do it. No problem. I don't have to ask anybody. I don't have to like you know put in a request. I can just be like, yeah, I'll do it that day because my boss told me it was okay because he's me. Um, but. That does come with additional stress of, you know, you're the one that has to make it happen. You're the one that has to bring home the bacon, so to speak. There's nobody just cutting you a paycheck uh, in the same way. And I understand why, depending on your mental wiring, one might sound more stressful than the other. For me, being self-employed is less stressful than working for somebody else. For my dad, working for somebody else is less stressful. You just got to pay attention to your own brain and your own situation and try to do what's best for you. you yep. Know? And if you're doing the opposite of what you should be doing, make moves. Like even if yes. it's just starting to listen to podcasts that get you in the right mindset, like I don't care if you're 60 years old and you hate your job and you have an entrepreneurial mindset, like start listening to some podcasts and reading some books and like, make moves and it might not be like a complete life-changing move in the next 90 days or anything, but 
you know, I think about that with my wife because she's like from the time she was 18 till about 10, eight, nine years ago, she was in a cubicle with no windows working at a hospital billing department or something Mm -hmm. and was like completely terrified to quit her job and get something different because she was that's she was that cubicle person. Right. And now, you know, nine years later of this job that she's got now, she's right in there. She's working from home and she's wouldn't have it any other way. So just understanding and learning and being willing to make those moves, even over a long period of time. I think it took us like five years to get everything lined up where we could go on the road and do that stuff. And then Mm -hmm. we had to make an adjustment again this year and not do that or adjust how we do that. You have to be willing to, you know, we were laying in bed the other night and Leslie says, she's like, I wonder if people think we're crazy because we've been married for not quite 10 years and we've started our life over like three times. And I'm like, (laughs) I don't care. Like, right. (laughs) I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. That's, I mean, people thought I was crazy, you know? Yeah. They thought I was crazy quitting, you know, like, what's a pretty stable industry? The oil industry is pretty stable as far as employment goes. Like, it doesn't, they're, and the guys there that work there, they're like, they're like, just come here, do a good job, and you'll never have to worry about your paycheck. And that's true. That place was has been around for 120 years or whatever it is at this point. It's probably going to be there for another 120. And uh, that you know, some of those people thought I was a little bit had a screw loose, um, you know, doing what I was doing when I moved on. But I recently went back for my former supervisors. Uh, he finally retired. Uh, shout out Jim. I don't know if he'll see this or not. But uh, and you know, talking to them now, they can kind of see it now that there's more to see. Because at the time, it was not totally clear. They're like podcast, huh? You know, like I don't understand. And now, in a weird twist of fate. My son's, or it's not my son, my boss's son, former boss's son, works for us at Stringjoy. So it oh, kind of wow. like everything clicked together, you know. Uh, it was like, oh, this is a real thing that Blake's doing. You know, it is viable. And I've been gone from there for a long time now. Um, so people did think I was crazy. And also, similarly, I didn't care. But <laughs> what you talked about making moves, that's so important. Because... Yeah. I, I've told this story a million times to my listeners, but I was sitting in a, a the, the parking lot of a hotel slash subway slash convenience store after work one day. I just went in there and grabbed a sandwich or something, and I was just like sitting there going like, why am I not happy? Like, on paper, got a good job. Like, I love spending time with my family. That makes me happy. I'm like, what? I've got everything that I've been shooting for. And then it clicked. I was like, oh, you have got everything you've been shooting for. And you re- now have the self-realization that this isn't exactly what you want to do career-wise. So now what you have to do is shoot for something else. And it took a long time and a lot of effort. But if I had just kept doing... I'd still be working there right now. And like I said, I'm not hating. It was a good job, but it wasn't good for me. Yeah. 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 So you got to make moves. You can't sit there. If you're not happy with your current situation, 
uh, I realized that this is not an option for everybody. If you're a single parent working 14 jobs trying to feed the family, that's tough. It's tougher than what I had to do to make my changes. But for a lot of people, some people are just stuck because they're stuck, not because they're actually stuck, just because they're mentally stuck. So think about those things and make those changes to the degree that it's possible. Even if it's like you said, just getting your mindset right, listening to some different content, absorbing different things from different people, that can go a long ways. I had a friend of mine, uh, well, I do have a friend of mine who's a computer guy, you know, whatever he does, computer stuff. And he was, he doesn't really like his boss. He doesn't really like his job, but because of COVID um, and, and he would always tell me, especially when we were on the road, he's like, man, I wish I could do that. That'd be oh, someday, you know, I'm going to do that. And I told him one day, I was like, because of COVID, you're working from home, right? And he's like, yeah, mm-hmm. he's got a really nice deck. And I told him, I was like, if you're working from home today, just take your laptop out and sit on your deck to work for a couple hours this afternoon. Like, mm-hmm. use that as a, I'm, you know, I'm doing something a little different, changing my perspective, changing my, you know, my surroundings just a little bit. It was yep. not a big move, but something within your power. Months go by and months go by. He buys an RV. He's got it sitting in his yard <laughs> and he and he texts me a picture of two monitors and his work situation inside his RV in his yard. And mm-hmm. he's like, I'm trying it on for size to see if I can do it. And now and then he texts me, we well, we talk I talked to him a couple months ago or about a month ago. And he's like, We're gonna take six weeks this summer, we're gonna travel, and I'm gonna do try it this much. So from taking your laptop and sitting on your porch for a couple hours, these little moves, you know, mm-hmm. like yeah, that's what it takes. Like a hundred percent. I love that example. That's it's a not great just example. quitting everything and upending your life. It's little moves, you know. I and I love that because a lot of people think it is. It's like we got to completely change. We're quitting. We're doing, and we're gonna start this whatever. And it's like. You know, I worked doing the tone mob stuff and at my job for like, I think, two and a half, three years at the, at the same time. And did it suck? Yeah, it kind of sucked because I was basically working two full-time jobs. But at the end of the day, what was more, what was more of a risk? Like, keep this income, keep supporting my family, and trying this thing that loses money for a while in general, <laughs> like... Any business you start, you're probably going to lose money for a while, so you better have something else coming in. Uh, and so I I did. I lost money on it for a little while until I figured out how to make it work. And once I figured out how to make it work consistently for oh, about a year, then I felt comfortable like, okay, I can lose this now. I can quit and I can move on from there. But it was not an option for me just to be like, all right, we're flipping the switch and we're going we're going to do this thing full time now because I think it may work. You you do. You need to test things. Your friend's smart to just like, let's see if this is going to work for me or not. Mm-hmm. Let's try it out a little bit because maybe I think I want to do it, but I don't actually want to do it. Right. That's that's OK, too. Yeah, that's th- there's been many times where I'm like, I think that sounds fun. Like I uh, when I talked about I'm not doing as much client work these days, I thought that was going to be more fun than it was. 
because I was like, oh, I can work on all these different projects for all these different people and get this variety of experience. But what I found is with client work, uh, it's essentially the same as having a boss <laughs> and I don't yep. like having a boss. So, so I decided that wasn't for me. Now there's other people that may love it and that's, that's for them. You we know? did that too for a while. We had a consulting company that we, we had for a little bit. And I, the reason I stopped doing it and I've heard you talk about examples on your podcast where you're like, if you do these five things, this will work. And they're like, that's a lot of work. I'm like, well, just get up in the morning and do it. Mm -hmm. And they don't do it. And then they're like, why isn't this working? I'm like, you paid me to tell you what you should do. I'm not going to do it for you. Like, right. Unless you pay me a lot more. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. or they expect, you know, um, if I start a YouTube channel in three months, will I be making Mr. Beast money? N no, <laughs> no, you won't. <laughs> like, no, and neither was Mr. Beast. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, we are bumping on in an hour. Um, okay. I don't have any uh, fancy uh, ending questions or anything. That like, flew like by. You do. That was awesome. That was fun. That was fun. Yeah. So I want to go over to Patreon now just for a few minutes because i know there's some other things you're interested in besides music stuff and <laughs> uh i know you're a gearhead and i am too so i want to dive in a little bit about that i know you've got a car um that you've got some time into i'm interested in that um so let's chat about that over on patreon sounds good dude awesome <laughs> well there you have it there's another one in the can. I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode as much as I did. Please make sure and go check out Dylan's show wherever you listen to this one at. I'm sure it will be an epic ride. And as I ask for regularly, if you enjoy this podcast, please share it with somebody that you know. I know that it can be really difficult to get your friends to listen to a podcast. It's even difficult for me to listen to my friend's suggestions sometimes, but over time, they wear me down, and they're always correct. I always do end up really enjoying the shows they think I'm going to end up enjoying. So please share this with somebody. Please talk about it on the interwebs. Please rate and review and all that good stuff. And thank you so much for tuning in week after week. Got another one coming for you in a couple days. I think you're really going to enjoy it. And yeah, I'll talk to you next time, folks. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time.
We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out. 